Welcome to the Core Happiness Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Banks, a mindset and positive psychology coach. On this podcast, we discuss all things related to creating happiness from within. So let's do it. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of Core Happiness. On this episode, we are actually going to be starting a series based around motherhood. Since Mother's Day is in May, we decided there's no better time to talk about motherhood. There's so many different factors of motherhood that either some people may not know or that they just don't talk about. So the next two episodes in May will be about motherhood. And I have a very dear friend of mine who is a mother of three who will be joining me to talk about motherhood from a mother's perspective. So whether you are a mother or whether you have a mother, which is pretty much everybody, we hope that there's something that you can gain from this conversation. And without further ado, I would like to introduce you to my very, very dear friend, Lily Dobb. So Lily, thank you so much for being here and joining us today. Thank you for having me, Casey. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, of course. So with May being Mother's Day, I want to start talking just kind of about the mindset of motherhood, because this is something you and I have talked about. I always kind of go back to, because I'm not a mother and I don't know, so I go back to Oprah's quote which is one of the greatest sacrifices that anyone could ever make as being a mother. And I can imagine just by seeing friends and family who are mothers and even having had a mother, I could see that that would be a great sacrifice. So from your perspective and your journey in motherhood, what has that been like for you? Okay. So obviously we don't get a motherhood instruction manual. So when you become pregnant or if you go through your adoption process, I don't think any of us really can know exactly what a mom is until you actually become one. And I feel like when you're pregnant, when you actually have your child, your first child, for example, you're born into motherhood. Yeah, we're more nurturing. We're more in tune with our emotions, but you're really not a mother until you're born into it with that first child. And then obviously comes all the other aspects of, okay, now a mom. And now what does that mean for me as a woman, as a career woman, as a wife or girlfriend, or even if you're a single mom, you're like thrust into a different world. And it's a journey. It's not like, yeah, I became a mom and now I know exactly what to do throughout my life. No, every day I am learning something new. So my first child, he's 16 now. And when he was born, I will never forget in the hospital, I'm laying there in the bed in the hospital room by myself. And he's right next to me, that little baby, that's net, And I'm looking at him and I'm just bawling. And this nurse happened to walk in and she's like, oh, honey, what's wrong? And I'm 24 at the time. You know, I'm not super young, but I'm still young. And, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to take this thing home with me. Like, what am I doing? And she's like, well, guess what? He doesn't know what he's doing either. And you guys will figure this out together. And I've always kept that because that kind of took the pressure of being this perfect mom or this perfect person. And I can only imagine how completely consuming it is, right? Where it's like, I just have this being and now I have to keep this being alive and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. It continues to be a learning process. Like I'm a teenager and he's driving. And so this is a new process for me. And then I have a 10 year old and granted I've been through it with my first one. It's still, he's a different person. I'm still learning motherhood 
of my second one. And then I have my little one who's six. Again, different child, different lessons that I'm learning from motherhood. Motherhood is a journey really without a destination. It really is. You just go and you do it. And then in the middle of motherhood, there you are still a woman trying to figure yourself out, trying to make sure you're not giving too little of yourself, obviously, but then also figuring out, okay, where do I fit in? Where do my needs fit in? And a lot of us, I think we don't Mm -hmm. fit in and we just kind of let ourselves go. And then we have adult children and I see this with my own mother and she's like, I don't know what there's to live for sometimes. My kids are all gone. Now what, what is there? And I believe that's because through the first part of the journey of motherhood, you give so much of yourself that you kind of lose it. You lose who you are. You lose yourself. So yeah, ultimately you're sacrificing all that you are and society applauds that. Oh, she's such a good mom. Oh, she's such a good wife. Oh, she's so committed to her children. And it's not like, yeah, but what are you doing for you? Where are you nurturing yourself? So like you were saying, it is the ultimate sacrifice, but I really don't believe it has to be that way where it's the ultimate sacrifice where everything you do is everything is for your children. And I'm guilty of that. I mean, everything I do is my kids, they're my world, they're and my husband, everything is it's just for them. And again, it's a journey without a destination. And I think that is also overwhelming if you really look at it. It's like when does this journey end? You don't get a switch, right? Where it's like, okay, now they're good. Now I can go back to incorporating myself in and <laughs> starting to take care of myself or starting to think about myself. And then the whole other level of mom guilt, but there isn't a specific time. There is no actual switch. I know a lot of mothers are like, you know, well, when my kid goes off to college or when I turn 18, but like, you don't ever stop being a mom. And it's not when your children are 18 and move out of the house. That is not it. It is when you basically die, in my opinion. You know, I'm never going to stop being a mom. When my kids are 60 and I'm still around, I'm always going to be their mom. That's, if they need me, I'm here through marriages, through other, and then you have grandkids. You know, if I'm fortunate enough to have grandbabies, I mean, my God, that's a whole other form, I feel, of motherhood. Yeah. You're mothering your children through that, and then you become a grandmother. So yeah, I agree with the sacrificing part, but I also agree it doesn't have to be that way. And so the only way that there really can be any type of self-care or even just figuring out who am I, what's my own identity in this, have to be at some point during your motherhood, like during the journey, because there's no defined time. No, there's not. I know several moms who struggle with that, who used to take such great care of themselves and they had their baby. And then that's, I mean, the first two years of a child's life, it is mom. I mean, especially you're breastfeeding and it's no sleep. And if you're a working mom, my goodness, it was so overwhelming. And it's like a blur to me now just thinking about it. But in all the added pressures of momhood, working mom, coming home to make sure the house is clean. And then you look at yourself, you're like, oh my God, like I haven't gotten a haircut. I need to buy new clothes. But the talk comes first. Like my kids, they need something. I got to make sure I take care of that first. And back to your point with that off switch, you're essentially your children's like hurts, happiness, failures, pains, they kind of become yours. Like mm -hmm. you just can't help but feel it all. Yeah. I know 
my oldest, his first heartbreak, I cried with him. Like he cried and I was there crying with him because I felt, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so painful. And it does, it becomes yours. And any in failures, you have to let your children fail. But watching that happen, it's heartbreaking. It's just like, oh my goodness. I can't even imagine besides sitting with them and crying and being a support in that way. I think about it and I think I'm already thinking like, gosh, that's so heartbreaking because I can understand just wanting to fix it and be their protector and make sure that everything's okay. And then not being able to. So for me personally, I now feel three different people's hooks and pains and happiness. That right there is overwhelming. It's sometimes taxing Mm -hmm. as well. Like I lose sleep. I'm like, how can I help them fix this problem? How can I figure this out with him? And all the different personalities too, when you have multiple children trying to figure out, you know, okay, he needs this. It can go the same for this one. And I don't know if every mom's that way. I know I overcompensate the way I mother my children because of the mother I had mm-hmm. growing up. So I believe a lot of moms become the mothers they wish they had. And I am completely 100% that person. So I know sometimes to overcompensate. And my husband and I talk about this all the time where he's like, you know, you don't have to do this. I'm like, no, I do. I have to do this. This is how I have to do it because I didn't have that. And I know how I felt at that time. So it's such a conundrum of things. And when you become a mom, you do, you see yourself, you see all of the trauma, all the hurts in a whole different way. And, and then on top of being a mom, you're working through your own inner trauma, inner things that kind of bubble up through that. So I don't think a lot of us moms think about that aspect where we get triggered by something Mm -hmm. and it's like, that's just who I am as a mom. And we don't go deep like, oh, I'm this way because my parents did this, or I'm still struggling to accept myself in that way, or I'm overcompensating for not having that parent. I mean, you said there's no handbook and there's no manual. So really, it's how you were raised. That's all you know. I mean, all I know about motherhood is how I was raised by my mother or how I've seen my friends with their mothers. But that's literally it. So I can only imagine being a mother and, like you said, just having to go through this, the type of mother that I had. And so these are the decisions I'm making based on that knowledge because I don't have any other knowledge really to base it off of. And then, is it right? Is it wrong? <laughs> like, you don't know. It's You just have to make the right. best decision in that moment and then hope that it works out. It's a journey. And none of us come into this journey with any kind of map or how to navigate or where to go and even tools i mean maybe some of us do come with some tools like if we had a great mom that kind of say this is what mother is going to be like i didn't i did not come into this with any kind of tools or any kind of example of this is what a great mom should be because god i mean i have made so many mistakes as a mom i feel and they show me grace every day. And in many ways, it can be so beautiful. I personally have never, ever thought I could love someone as much as I do my children. I never thought I could be loved as much. I mean, every day, one of them, you're beautiful. Even my 16-year-old, he still kisses me on the forehead every day, caressing my face like this. Oh, and you would think a six-year-old boy would like, mom, get out of it. No, and it's, uh, you're the best mom in the whole world. Like, just little things like that. And it's like, wow, what an overwhelming feeling of 
love and acceptance and grace. Like they know I'm trying my very best. Mom, I know you tried. Thank you for doing this, Mom. And then sometimes they're not very grateful at all. But yeah, I mean, the best thing I could say, it's a journey. I'm kind of winging it along with other mothers. <laughs> and I'm just praying to God that my children don't have a humongous therapist bill. <laughs> I mean, even to that part, I, there was another quote that I heard a mom say once where it was like, having kids is like wearing your heart outside of your body. And I can't even imagine what that's like. Honestly, even in today's world where it just seems like children now don't have the childhood that we had, you know, not really having neighbors to go out and play with and then just come home when the street lights on and it's a completely different world. And so even just sending them to schools, gosh, with all the mass shootings and things and then sending them off to school every day and then just hoping that they come home and are they going to have a good day? Are they going to have heartbreak? And then I mean, I don't know if bullying is ever a thing with you, but just in general, some kids go through bullying and it's like being a parent and not being able to fix the things that are going on with your kids has to be extremely hard to deal with. Yeah. And that's life, right? We we had to go through it. Part of it is like raising resilient children. Yes. I had a really challenging childhood. I grew up super quickly just because of the challenges that I had growing up. So for me, I don't want that for my children, but at the same time, I want them to be resilient and mm-hmm. I had to be, and I feel like it never scared me wrong. I was very independent. I got my stuff done and I want my children to be that way, especially boys. You want to raise good men, resilient men, men that respect women. But I mean, like you were saying, the different world we live in compared to when we were kids and social media, the school shootings, it's overwhelming. And like I said, maybe our parents could have said, hey, raising kids, this is how it's going to be like in the 80s. No one knows. No parent can tell us now how it is raising children in this environment with the overwhelming hyper awareness that we all have. You know, social media, boom, you get the news right there. And you're on screen. I mean, even for us as adults, you're always on screen, then you're watching a movie, then you're at the phone. And we try with the screen sound getting off screen, but don't you know, it is so hard because even at school, they use screens to learn, like mm. standardized testing on screens. They all have a computer for school. Right. They take it to school. They do it on screen. How do we navigate this new world of so much information that my six-year-old should not be seeing, but yeah. it's out there? Yeah. Like, how do I protect him from that? Like school shootings, he had school shooter drills at school. I cannot protect him from knowing that this happens because now when he goes to school, the first week of school, they do school shooter drills where they hide underneath the table where it's like a bad guy with the guns in your school. And I live in Texas. So Texas is mm-hmm. all about guns and this and that. So I don't even know to start with some of this stuff. And another thing is new technology like AI. Oh my How gosh, yes. AI with my children yes. where things are fake online where you see fake things online and I'm trying to convince them this is not real. It's yeah. not real. So now we're kind of toying with the idea of reality. What's real? What's not? And a six-year-old little brain, I mean, how can you convince a little six-year-old like, honey, this is not real. They made right. this up. And they're like, but I'm looking at it. How is it not real? <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, that's the thing. My heart goes out to moms and dads of girls. Because I cannot imagine being a girl mom or dad. The pressure and stress that these girls face, especially on social media. Yeah. I mean, I'm 41 and I I feel 
pressure and stress. And you, me you, too. You know, we talk about this. Yeah. My niece is going to be 13, 12, and I cannot yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. And the way they even look, I mean, Casey, you and I in the 80s and 90s, we really looked like we were little. These girls, they look, you know, they're 13. They look like they're 21. 100%. Like, where is childhood gone? Yeah. And then to raise the boys in that same environment where I'm like, we're not sexualizing these girls. We're not looking at them as some piece of meat. We need to empower these women. But then it's like, okay, how do I navigate this with my boys? There is a lot of pressure on young females due to social media, but that is also setting up what boys and men come to expect also. So that adds to the pressure as well. So it's, it's not only, oh, I should look like this, but it's also now people are expecting me to look like this. And so when you're raising boys, I think there's also the pressure there too, because when that's what they see all the time, and even with cognitive behavioral therapy, we talk about conditioning and conditioning is essentially growing up with, whether it's from parents, whether it's from society, whatever those societal norms are, but it's what you're learning and that becomes your baseline conditioning. And so if your baseline conditioning is based off something that is unrealistic or unattainable or not even real because of AI, that is extremely challenging. How do you help your children understand this is real, this is not? I mean, I'm a big believer in people are not changed by your opinion, they're changed by your example. Mm -hmm. So I try to model the behavior of, this is me. I don't want to do all these things to myself in order to feel like this is how women are supposed to look like. Just be natural, set realistic expectations for my kids. Hey, a woman is not supposed to wear makeup 24-7. She's not supposed to be super skinny. And especially aging-wise, like after you have children, your body changes. So when you get married, son, your wife, her body is going to change. She's going to be a little different. And that's okay. Embrace that with her. So it's a little thing is that, you know, having a 16-year-old now and just navigating through that with him of the expectation of these these 16, 17-year-old girls, it's like, hey, buddy, we're not expecting these girls to be perfect. Understand that they also have insecurities. They, you know, they're working through themselves, too. So kudos on that one. But that's, I think that's amazing. Well, I was talking to Anthony, my son, the other day, and he's talking about the girls or whatever. And he's like, yeah, this girl's cute, but she has all these followers. And then this girl's cute, but she has a few followers. I'm like, what does that say to you? He's like, one says, I want attention, and the other says, I could care less about attention. I was like, and which one would you find more attractive? He's like, well, the one that doesn't require so much validation from people, which I completely get. That's very mature. Because, right. I mean, I think that also speaks to you, how you're raising your son. Honestly, yeah. I think that speaks a lot <laughs> to how you're raising your son. Because I could see that the opposite also, where it's, oh, well, she doesn't have a lot of followers. She's probably not as popular or... Maybe that means there's something wrong mm-hmm. with her. So yeah. I'll go with the girl that has the most uh, followers when it's not right. even based off of anything real besides the fact that she has followers. So I think that that speaks both to Ant and his ability to figure that out and make that assessment. But yeah. that also speaks to how you're raising him. My thing with the kids when they talk about girls or whatever, the my first question is, what do you like about her? And what I'm looking to hear is something other than her looks. I don't want to hear she's pretty. Of course, attraction is is up there, but I want to hear something other than she's pretty. She's kind, she's smart, she's funny. 
Those are the things because that tells me, okay, I am teaching my children to value more than what is presented on the outside of people. And that's so important to me. I don't want my boys to go out in the world looking at shells and not being concerned about what's really inside a person's heart. All three boys, are, they're pretty good at saying, oh, they're funny, they're kind. And I love that. And I hope they never, ever change that about themselves. And I hope people see my children that way. The, they're not noticing how they look at first. They're like, well, they're kind, they're smart, and they're empathetic. That's a big one for me. But you kind of have to dig a little deeper to really know if that person's kind, if that person is empathetic. And I want my children to dig a little deeper with people. Yeah. And it seems to me, at least from the outside looking in, that you put a lot of thought into what you expose your boys to. And what I mean by that is getting them out in nature, going to parks, going to farms, dealing with animals, and then what you expose them to at home. It just seems like you and your husband put a lot of thought into what you expose your boys to. But how do you make those decisions when it comes to the environment that you try to put your boys in? And when you talk about them being empathetic and talk about them being good people, because you are raising awesome awesome kids. I mean, they're amazing. I mean, (laughs) every one of them has a different personality, but they're all so amazing personalities. But because I know it's hard probably to nurture every single one, but how do you make those decisions? How do you decide what to expose them to, the type of experiences that they should have, especially in this day and age? I'm just curious, how do you decide? I kind of go with what I enjoy doing. You know, I try to be intentional with things, as far as let's get away from the screens and go outside and go take a walk. And My husband is really good at that. He makes sure the little dudes get exercise outside. So they go for a walk and then the other one works out with him three days a week. So we're kind of intentional in that way. We're like, get him off the screens. Let's go do something else. And I enjoy nature. I think nature has so much to teach us. And it's such a simple thing that you can go and take a walk and look at flowers and look at birds. And it teaches you something. It really does. I enjoy going to parks. I enjoy traveling to the beach. And once we're there, we have a blast. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes they gripe about it. They're like, I don't feel like going, you know, I want to go to Wolves. And once they're out there, they're having a great time. But as far as exposure, that's a huge challenge for me. And I'm sure for a lot of parents with what's out there on the screens. I mean, I can put parental controls on YouTube all day long, but they will see something that I don't deem appropriate for them. I am sure of it. I am positive of it. And movies, like Marvel. Marvel is fun. I enjoy Marvel movies. But of course, there's stuff on there that I'm like, I don't know if that's cool for, you know, my six-year-old to see. Mm. And I think, like you were saying earlier, kids are so different these days. I think they have matured so much. They've had to mature so much faster me at 10 years old compared to my son at 10 years old, completely different. The stuff he knows compared to what I knew, just so different. And it's way more mature subjects. And I do know some parents that have been able to shelter their kids a little bit more, but they live in smaller towns. I live in Houston. It's a humongous city. And you walk out and you see stuff that's not okay. So for us, it's just, we can only do so much internally in our home but once we send them out into the world you know they have friends that have been exposed to certain things they talk about stuff at school so what has worked for us in our house is we keep a very open conversation type household 
So my children can ask any and whatever question they want. Granted, the answers will be child-friendly. I'm not going to go into super deep conversations with my 10-year-old, 6-year-old, but I'm going to try to help them understand what they have seen. If it's violence, if it's sex, if it's drugs, for example, you know, at at their school, they talk about the fentanyl. And even my 10-year-old, they're starting to talk about fentanyl crisis because there have been kids as young as 13 here in our area that have overdosed of fentanyl. So some of them look like candy and they're like, elementary school kids stay away from this if it looks like candy. So I'm having to have a conversation with my 10-year-old about this situation. Mm -hmm. He's 10. I don't ever remember at 10 years old talking about opioids or drugs or any of that. I mean, we have dare in school, but with him, it's actually a conversation. Hey, if you see this, you do not take it. Why? Of course, why don't we take it? I have to explain Mm -hmm. to them what it is. And when they ask why, I have to give an answer. That thing, just because I said so, it does not suffice to guess what they're going to do. Google, right. they're going to go to Google. Yep. They're going to go ask their friends. And I don't want them to have to go do that. I want them to trust me. When they come to me with a question, I want them to trust that I'm going to help them navigate through that. Because I believe that's going to follow our journey through motherhood and through their entire life. Yeah. My mom can be trusted. I can come to my mom with anything. She is a safe person. And I, that's one thing I strive for to be a safe person for my children, to not judge them, to make sure that you can come to me with anything. There's no judgment. I will walk you through it. One thing I don't tolerate though is lying. Mm, yes. They know this. Like yes. lying is a big no. And I've and all three of them know if you lie, you will get in trouble every single time. Yes. If you're yes. honest, that means you're brave. And that means that we can navigate through whatever truth that you're trying to tell me. So to me, when you're always lying, there's a safety thing there. Like, I have to lie to you because I don't feel safe being honest with you. But if a person feels safe being honest with you, to me, that kind of says, I know you're not going to judge me. I know we can have a conversation about this. I know that you're not going to belittle me or demean me. I know there's a space for me to really explain why I feel this way and I'm not going to be shunned for it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one, honestly, because one, that's probably my biggest pet peeve in life is lying. I cannot stand when someone lies to me. I see it as the lack of respect. But I know sometimes for kids or like teenagers specifically, they lie because one, of course, they think they're going to get in trouble or two, they think they're protecting. Like, I don't want my mom or dad to feel this way, or I don't want them to feel disappointed in me, or I don't want my mom to be sad, or I'm trying to protect my friends. I'm going to lie to my friend about this because I don't want to hurt their feelings. But it comes from like those various places. But I I think that is phenomenal that that's even brought up because I think there are different reasons to your point why people lie, especially kids. And the trust Mm -hmm. aspect, I have always believed that that should be instilled when they're young, because if not, mm-hmm. that, that carries over into adulthood and you continue to lie. And they have the saying of like, oh, but it's just a little white lie. It doesn't mean anything. It's harmless. But to me, a lie is a lie. Lying is a form of betrayal and a betrayal is a betrayal. But I just don't think that that's ever really talked about. So I think it's phenomenal yeah. that that is part of an open conversation that you have with your kids. Yeah. And I've always thought 
if you lie about the little things, if you lie about, about the, the big, big things. things. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get away with the small things, you're going to try to get away with the big things. And yeah. when I picture my life in 20 years, you know, I'll be 61. My children will all be adults. I really picture a really great relationship with my children. Some parents don't believe in friendships with their children. Mm-hmm. I don't know that philosophy. I guess I'm, I could understand because it's respect and it's superiority. I just don't like that philosophy for myself and my children. I'm learning from my children just as much as they're learning from me. Right. So it's not a relationship where I am superior to you, so therefore, absolutely, they cannot speak to me in a certain way. I do not want them to be disrespectful. Absolutely not to me or to any other adult. However, I also shouldn't be disrespectful to them. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be just completely treating them like crap. No, that's a mutual respect there. I get the concept of I would never tell my children things that you and I talk about just from a friend's perspective. There's things you and I talk about that I'm like, oh, I'm not going to talk to my children about this. I get that for sure. They're not my friends, but I'm their friend. Right. And thankfully, my husband feels the same way. Mm-hmm. We're not the parents that are like, a child should be quiet. A child should never be heard. And I'm sure people will disagree and it's completely fine. That's another thing I wanted to point out. I don't think any one of us can say this is the right way to do it. Yeah. We're all trying to raise successful kids. Of course, there's the right thing to do to raise emotionally healthy children. But when you are trying intentionally to raise great kids, it's really difficult to tell someone you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And none of us will know until they are grown up and they tell us, hey, that really sucks. I don't know if what I'm doing is going to be great for my children. Just like I'm sure my mom, she tried her very best with what she had to work Mm -hmm. with. And so for me, I would never tell someone, this is how you should be doing it. But just like there's no manual for motherhood, there shouldn't be room for judgment on how we are all mothering our children. Mm -hmm. We're really trying our best. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about the judgment is, like you're saying, there's no right way or wrong way. So when somebody is giving judgment, it's based on what they grew up with. And that's all they know. So I get that. But at the same time, that doesn't make it right Right. or wrong either. Again, few exceptions. But I think the whole shaming, like breastfeeding and formula feeding. When I had my first one, I felt so guilty for not breastfeeding him for longer than three months. I just couldn't. It was just so difficult. And hearing other moms say, well, you should be breastfeeding for like a year. I'm like, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I might have to feel bad about myself. Or sharing the bed. Like I had my kids slept with me, you know, some moms are like, what are you doing? You're creating an overly dependent child. I'm like, in my culture, Latin American culture, that is completely normal. Just little things like that. I mean, college, even my 16 year old, he's graduating next year. And the conversation of going to college, trade school, or opening a business. I mean, those are his choices for us. But some parents are like, they need to go to college. You are a terrible parent. So the aspect of parenthood, I think that's also challenging is that where you just have judgments from other parents that think they know better than you do. And then obviously you question yourself. You're like, oh, crap, am I really damaging my kids if I'm doing this? You kind of have to trust yourself there as a parent that you're doing the right thing for your kids. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to ask you when we talk about how consuming motherhood is, is (laughs) how do you find time for yourself? How do you 
incorporate lily time? Because I always say that you can't pour from an empty cup. So how do you refill your cup and how do you deal with mom guilt? (laughs) Okay. So I struggled with my first one. It was really difficult to find the time when I had to learn how to take care of myself. Now, granted, I didn't take the best care of myself. I did suffer from the post-baby depression for about postpartum. It was really, really bad. Yeah. So I can't say anything about that. My current situation, I say, hey, I'm going to go take a walk now. And my husband and I kind of work out a proper schedule. I have a rule. Once a month, I go get a manicure and pedicure. Nice. That's what I do. Once a month. And I have a workout schedule put on my calendar. Granted, when the babies are little, like I said, the first two years probably, when they're just so needy, especially at the very beginning, just grace. Give yourself grace. And I know the whole thing with sleep when the baby sleeps. No, when the baby sleeps, you clean. That's what I did. I cleaned. I did stuff I had to do. And then when you have more than one child, you spend time with the other baby. So it's hard. It is difficult. I don't think a lot of women think about that and really consider that aspect of motherhood. I mean, I don't want to scare anyone away, but I want to say, hey, be prepared for this. It is not an easy time. So if you need time for yourself, make sure you demand it. Don't ask. Don't say, hey, can I really? Don't say, hey, I need to go on a walk right now to replenish that cup. I need 10 minutes to take a shower. And I really pray that people have their village. It is tough when you don't have your village. It really is. And I can compare my first son. I didn't have anyone to help really. It was difficult. My second one, my husband was super duper helpful and very, very involved. And that was so helpful for me because I could take my time. And then my third one, we actually moved to another state and I didn't have anyone in my new state and my husband was super busy working. So I was at home with my new little baby and then my three and a half, four year old. And then my other son was in elementary in my middle school. And so that was super challenging. Again, I didn't have my village. So again, your village is important. Don't ask for your time, demand your time. And when people ask, is there anything I can help you with? Say yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't shun away help. Tell them like, yes, please, if you can help me with this. I know it's hard. I don't like asking for help. I get it. Well, it's like the perception of asking for help, though, too, right? It's like, yeah. oh, my gosh, well, if I ask for help, then it's I'm admitting failure or people are going to judge me and think that I'm not yeah. a good mom or I'm not equipped to be a mom or yeah. whatever it is. But it's that yeah, yeah, yeah. the fear of judgment and thinking. Like you said, give yourself grace because it's hard. But I think a lot of people are like, right. oh, I am failing because I think it's hard. But they don't think, oh, this is just everybody struggles. They think, it's, oh, it's just me. And it, there must be something wrong with me. And I, I'm the one struggling. But it's most likely it's everybody. And that's why they say it takes a village because it's difficult for everybody, especially in those early years, like you were saying. Right. Yeah. And no one says anything. Mothers don't want to say anything. Right. They don't want to say, yeah, I'm struggling. Right. They don't want to talk about the struggle per se. And it's like, no, girl, it's hard. It's not easy. If, you know, one of my sister-in-law just had a baby this last year. And she said it was the first baby. Like, it's hard. I'm like, yeah, it is hard. And it does not get easier. You just have different types of hearts. And it's 
not all of art. Some, a lot of the times it's great. It's wonderful when they gain their independence. It's great when they are able to wipe their own butts. Oh my yeah. God. When they get out of diapers. Oh my God. It's the best thing when they can put themselves to bed. Those little things. When they hold their own bottle. Jesus. Yes. Those little things are like, oh my God, my life is started. So I guess it does get easier in a lot of senses, but then you get introduced with other hard things. So hard things kind of change. But in that aspect, you do gain some more independence where somebody's not hanging on to your boob. Right. Those hard days do get easier. They really, really do. But I do feel like it takes a village. And for those of us that don't have the village, my favorite, favorite, favorite quote of all time is, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is it's all temporary. Like in the bad news, it's all temporary. I mean, that sums up motherhood perfectly. Yeah. And then, so on the times where you demand of like, hey, I need time. I need to go take this walk. I need whatever it is. I'm going to get my mani-pedi. Do you have mom guilt? Or did you have it when they were younger and now that they're older, not so much? But have you ever dealt with mom guilt? Yep. Uh, mom guilt has gotten me in terms of work, my career versus mm, yes. my family life. Yeah. At one point, I had to work in a corporate environment, you know, 12 to 15 hour days. I had no choice. I had to do that. These days, I have a choice to have more of a flexible schedule versus a corporate environment. So what I chose, I chose a flexible schedule because it allows more time for my children as they're growing older. Granted, I'm getting paid a lot less than I would. I mean, I'm making probably half of what I could make. So I'm foregoing certain life luxury items in order to be available for my children. And so the mom guilt in that sense is I could provide them with more things, more vacations, more cool things. But at the other aspect, it's like I'm home when they need me. I'm available when they need me. I'm still making an income, but I am here. I can pick them up from the school. If they're sick, I can stay home and take care of them. There's no like, oh my God, what am I going to do anymore? Which was very, very much my life before in a corporate environment where it was like, what am I going to do? They're sick. I have to work. I have to be here. I can't miss work. So I have sacrificed a career path. I've sacrificed time in my trade to better myself there. I sacrifice money and that's also motherhood. But for me, motherhood's worth it. Yeah. It's all worth it. So mom guilt is real and I know it. And I feel for all the moms that have no choice but to go every day and wake up and drop off their kids at daycare and go to work and pick them up and I get it. And my only advice to you is you're doing the best you can. And if that's what you got to do to raise your children, then that's what you got to do to raise your kids. You're teaching them hard work. You're teaching them, you know, commitment. You're teaching them like, this is what it takes to create a life. And that's okay. And for the moms that stay home and you're committed to raising your children there, kudos to you too. It's hard. It's hard not to have an outside life. And that's all you have. I hope that you're taking time for yourself and that you're out there and that when you do get your many petty, that you don't feel guilty because a happy mom is a good mom. A happy mom is a good mom. It's a better mom. And whatever makes you happy in that moment, it's good. Like I like 
fresh flowers every week. It's 12 bucks into my grocery bill. I know that for some people that's not a lot, but it's a grocery bill. Groceries add up. That makes me happy. I used to feel guilty about that. Not anymore. That makes me happy to see those flowers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an important note. When I talked about this on a previous episode about self-care and, and the seven pillars of self-care. Yeah. But it doesn't always have to be like a, a spa day. It doesn't always have to be like yeah. many petties. Like it could be environmental self-care, which is like you're saying, buying flowers and looking at fresh flowers every week. Like yeah. that is a form of self-care. So it could be just like you said, going on a walk. Like that is a form of self-care. So Good. I think that's pretty important. I can't even imagine the time and dedication it takes when you have to wake up early, get your kids ready, drop them off at daycare, mm -hmm. go to work. You sit there and work all day long, which is already exhausting. Mm -hmm. Then you have to go pick your kids up. Then you go home and you're making dinner and you are you go immediately into mom role. And then you put them to bed and you're yeah. exhausted. And then you wake up and do it all over again. And I totally get how moms can be like, that's my life and I have no other time for anything else, let alone time to refill my cup. So I don't know where yeah. this refilling the cup comes in. But I do remember when you worked at your corporate job and I know that you mm -hmm. would go on walks during your lunch break and you would incorporate yep. <laughs> things. You would incorporate things like that. So yep. I think that's important to note too. Even when you are at a corporate job and you're a mom trying to juggle the work-life balance and you have the guilt of, okay, well, when I get home, I feel like I have to be there for my kids and I have to be present, so I can't use that time. Yeah. So when am I supposed to do anything for myself? But it's like sometimes you have to find that time and you have to make that time. And like you're saying, schedule yeah. it out, plan it once a month if you have to, or yeah. go on a walk during lunch or something. Yeah. You just got to set it in wherever you can. And you have to remind yourself. I know it's hard. Like, would I have to finish this? spreadsheet or whatever you can take 10 minutes and walk outside around the block once we come back it's so much better for you yeah but I, i've been there it's hard to say no this is my time i have to do this because if you're not well nothing else is going to go well it's just not i tell myself if i'm not okay then my children are going to suffer for they are because yeah. i can't be present i can't be there i'm miserable i'm irritable i'm not there for them so i think all of us if you're not taking time to do something that feeds your soul, everything else is going to be crap. It just is. Yeah. It's not going to work. I think it's super important. And again, and that also goes back to what we're talking about with your kids grow up seeing that too. And they grow up seeing whether yeah. you're happy or not happy or irritable or yeah. all of that. And I think it's yeah. a great example to set when you are like, hey, you know what? I need some me time. And instead of it being right. mom guilt and being like, oh, gosh, I feel so bad. But I think it's a healthy thing to say that. And it doesn't mean you love them less or anything. But I just like, hey, mom's going to go take a walk. I'll be back in 30 minutes. But I understand that it does take a village, too. And for those moms doing it alone, I literally my heart goes out because I can only imagine how rough yeah. and tough that that must be. It's all temporary. That's what I kept telling myself. It's all temporary. I'm going to get through this. And it is. Yeah. And the years fly by. And I know it's not even like it's so cliche and people hate hearing that. Like the years fly by. Yeah. But telling myself it's all temporary really, really helped me get through it for sure. This is so great. Thank you so much for coming on and just talking about motherhood and being honest and shedding light on some of the sides of motherhood that some people either don't know or acknowledge or even talk about. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
We would love to continue having this conversation with you all. We would love to hear from mothers about your experience with motherhood. Feel free to leave a note in the comments or ask Lily or myself any questions and join in on the conversation. We hope you will join us next time where we will continue to talk about motherhood and the other aspects, which can include marriage, divorce, blended families, and how that all can affect children as well. So until next time. I thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate it or leave a review. If you have any thoughts or questions, I would love to hear from you. You can email podcast at corehappiness.com. For show notes and additional resources, you can visit www.corehappiness.com. As always, please remember, never let anyone diminish your light. Until next time, sending you my love.